What love we've sang about this morning. The Bible says, by this they will know that you are my disciples, how you love one another. My name is Nick, and uh, let me say again to you, Happy New Year. Uh, we're going to be talking about love throughout the next couple of months as we are in the second half of the book of John. But Happy New Year, like I said, I hope, I don't know if you're like my family, we, I, I, I don't remember if I did it um, on New Year's Eve or not, but typically I try to, as we watch the ball drop, uh, raise my left foot so that I can always start the next year off on the right foot. No? Love, like I said, is the second half, uh, the theme of the second half of John's book. And uh, over 25 verses in this section of John speak of love. And John is where we find Jesus' new commandment to love one another, which we've already read this morning. Uh, it's one thing, though, to speak of love. What's really important is showing it. You've all heard the expression, talk is cheap. It's one thing to say love, to say it's good to love, to say we should love one another. But talk is cheap. It's really important to show us. And Jesus tells us, shows us how to love. In the verse that we've already read, John 13, 34, he says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Jesus says, Do what I have done. Do what I am doing. Watch me and love as I have loved you. One person uh, said this, they said, love is not how, about how much you say I love you, but how much you prove that it's true. In the first part of our John study we called Tell Me Something Good, and I, I'm not so sure we shouldn't call this one Tell, uh, Show Me Something Good, because that's what Jesus does, and he ends up showing that love all the way to the cross. Another verse in John that we'll get to in a couple of weeks, John 15 Verse 13, the Bible says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. What love? What love? He didn't just speak about it. He showed us. He proved that it was true. And he also demonstrates his love in John chapter 13. And that's where we're going to be reading from today. John chapter 13, you can go ahead and open uh, your Bible or look on your phone to John chapter 13. And that's where we'll begin this second half of the book of John. This is where the last days of Jesus' life begin. Uh, the last part of this book here is all about two or three, four days of Jesus' life. And, uh, and this is where his ministry has now gone from a public ministry to a very private one, to one with his closest friends. The book of uh, or chapter 12 ends with these couple of verses. Uh, it says in John 12, 36, after saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe. Can you believe that? Despite all of the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe. After feeding 5,000, after healing the, the, the lame and the, the blind and raising the dead, they didn't believe. But you know who did? Those who had an intimate personal encounter with Jesus believed. Those who he healed, they believed. The Samaritan woman believed. The demon-possessed man from Mark chapter 5. Lazarus, the disciples, they believed. And these disciples is who he would spend his last moments with. And that's who we find him with here in John chapter 13. An intimate time with his closest friends, preparing them for what is about to take place. 
Few passages reveal the character of Jesus and demonstrate his love like the one we're going to read this morning. I'm very excited to read these few verses with you as we get a, a, just a, a real detailed and close and honest look at just how well Jesus loved. Look at verse 1. We're going to read three verses here, and it's very important that we understand these three verses to get the magnitude of, of what's about to take place. John chapter 13, verse number 1. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. Like I said, understanding these verses help us grasp what's about to take place. Understanding what it means here when it says that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. That's so important to what's about to happen here. Jesus knew and he recognized his power. He recognized his authority. He could see the finish line. He was so close to completing his mission. He was so close to the end and he knew what was about to take place and he knew where he would be. In just a few days. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. This passage here would be that joy that's awaiting him. It says that he had come from God and would return to God. And that's the joy that was awaiting him as he prepared for these last days. And at that moment, pride could have set in. He realized how close he was to the finish line. He had almost completed this mission. He had lived perfectly. He had done everything the Father had asked of him. And that's when he could have let up a little bit. He could have let pride set in. He could have lost his focus. But instead, verse 1 tells us that he did, and it says that he loved them to the very end, or another version says, showed them the full extent of his love. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end or showed them the full extent of his love. Remember, it's not just saying it, it's can you prove it? And Jesus could, and he was about to. Look with me in verse number 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel that he had around him. Now, before you do like I have done so many times and dismiss this by saying, oh, man, that was so cool of Jesus. That was such a nice thing to do for his friends. He's getting ready to, to leave. He's getting ready to, to go to the cross, and he just really wanted to show them a, an act of kindness. we got to see the bigger picture here. There's so much more than just an act of kindness. It was so much more. It meant so much more than just washing the dirt off of their feet. First of all, we know that they would have worn sandals back then. You all know that. You know uh, the, the dirt that they would have walked through day after day after day. In dry weather, they would have walked through inches of dust. And in wet weather, they would have walked through liquid mud. We don't know if it was raining or if it was dry, what the weather was. But regardless of what the weather was, their feet would have been dirty. Just last week, my daughter Avery asked me what I was going to be preaching about this morning. And so we opened up her children's Bible. We read the, the passage in her children's Bible. And, and that children's Bible gave a whole new insight. It, it reminded us of all the animals on the streets and how the streets would have been covered with animals. 
and, and filth. And if you've ever been to a foreign country, you know that it's not like going down military road, right? And, and they would have no doubt stepped in all kinds of stuff and their feet just would have been a mess. And that's why most houses would have had a water pot at the door and their guests would have their feet washed by the lowliest household servant. As they would have entered the house, the lowliest servant would have gotten the job of washing the feet. So what we have here in John chapter 13 is a room full of men, 12, 13, maybe a few more men in this room, and they would have had very dirty feet. Luke gives us a little bit more detail, and I think it just adds so much more insight. As Luke says in chapter 22, verse 24 of his gospel, he gives the same account here. And as with many gospel accounts, you see a few more details, and they overlap. And, and Luke says that as they're in this room, he says, Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. So you've got a room full of men with very dirty feet, Knowing that it's customary, somebody needs to wash their feet here, and they're arguing over who is the most important in this moment. It's possible that such competitive pride had swelled up that none of them was willing to stoop down and serve the other one. None of them would do it. I could just hear them making their cases as to why it shouldn't be them. My fishing business is the most successful. I, I walked on water, Peter said. Jesus spends more time with me. Possibly, John said, my family has the best reputation. I'm more important. I'm more talented. And their excuses and reasons probably sounded a lot like the ones that we make today. Now, surely we wouldn't say them out loud, but let's be honest. As we're going through our day this week, as we're, as we're going to work, as we're passing people, uh, those thoughts come to our mind, whether we want them to or not. We, we, we can't help but think sometimes, well, I, I'm too good for that, or I, I'm better than that person, or they wouldn't be in that situation if this or if that. They probably sounded a lot like we do. But no doubt they were not wanting to do it. They weren't wanting to do this task. They weren't wanting to stoop down and wash each other's feet. But you have Jesus in the room too, right? And we've already read in verse 1 through 3 that he sees the finish line. He knows the authority and the power that he's been giving, given. He's thinking of his rightful place with the Father. Having all authority, he kneels down and begins to show them the full extent of his love. Not only that, but think about what he knew about these men. Think about uh, the, the days ahead that he knew were about to happen. He, he knew that men, the men that he was about to so humbly serve would betray him, would deny him, would desert him, would doubt him. He knew that about me. He knew that about you as he hung on the cross. He, he knows us completely and still loves us to the very end, as John 13, 1 said. Loves us to the very end. He would look into their eyes as he's washing their feet and, and, and see into the future and know that just in a day, he's going to be denied. In a few days, he's going to be doubted. He's going to be deserted tomorrow. And yet he's washing their feet. With all that in mind, read again. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. What love. Verse 6. 
passage goes on. When he came to Simon Peter, Peter's going to speak up here. When he, when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Or another version says, you will have no part with me. Basically, he's saying there, you won't have fellowship with me. You won't have the fellowship that you need to have with me. Luke chapter 10 gives us a little insight to this one part uh, when Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good part. You know the story about Mary and Martha as they're arguing over who's doing the chores and who's spending time with Jesus. And Jesus says in Luke 10, 42, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary had chosen the fellowship. Mary had chosen to be near to Jesus. Sin separates us from God, and that's why we need a Savior. But even after salvation, sin hinders our fellowship with God. See, we have salvation that cannot be taken away, and we've sang about it this morning, but, but sin still hinders our fellowship with God. You probably heard this old saying. I've quoted it many times, probably because I've found it to be so true in my life. But someone said a long time ago that sinning will keep you from praying, and praying will keep you from sinning. Now what that means is that if you're sinning, you're not going to be thinking about spending time with God. Your fellowship with God is going to be, it's not going to be good. You're not going to have God or spiritual things on your mind. And then it says praying will keep you from sinning. Of course, you're not going to be perfect. But the closer your fellowship with God, the more you'll recognize and avoid sin. The closer you're with God, the more time you're spending with God, you're not going to want any part of that junk. But the opposite is also true. And Jesus said, you'll have no part with me unless I wash you. Peter wanted that good part. He said, then wash all of me. Wash all of me. Wash my hands and my head and my feet as well. Something interesting here that I think we can apply to our life. Uh, Peter, he had said no originally to Jesus, but then he submitted. He recognized what was good for him. He obeyed what Jesus told him. He, at first he said, no, no, no. But then he submitted. He says, take all of me. Our tendency is to do the opposite, I believe. Our tendency is to, to submit to Jesus, but then hold back. It's, it's pretty much exactly the opposite of what Peter does here. We say, we, we sing even the song, Jesus, take all of me. But then we want to hold back. It sounds good to submit our life to, to the lordship of Jesus. But then when it gets personal and we don't want to give those things over, we don't want to go all in. We don't want to give the word of God authority over our lives. We pretty much do the opposite of what Peter did in this, in this passage. We want to dip our toe in and, and test the water. If we're at a lake or a swimming pool, I'm the kind of guy who's got to ease on in. I'm the one that's holding on to the ladder and putting one foot in and one foot in and watching the water level rise up on my trunks, you know, and getting a little bit in. Anybody in here just a, a dive all in off the diving board, off the boat? Yeah, not me. I'll join you in about 15 minutes. <laughs> That's what Peter does here. He, he dives all in. But we say, we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We like the idea of calling Jesus Lord, but not the humility that it takes to submit. What a lesson we could learn from Peter today. He said, no, no, Lord. And then 
And then he obeyed. He said, okay then, take all of me. Look at all of me, Lord. Clean all of me, Lord. Peter said, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And then Jesus replies in verse 10. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Remember I said he, he was looking into their eyes as he's washing their feet, and he knows that Judas is in this group. He knew what Judas would do, and yet he washed his feet anyway. He says, you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Now, we've got to make this point here. We've got to make sure that we understand this, that the cleansing of salvation does not need to be repeated. I don't want anybody to be confused here. If you've been saved, that does not need to be repeated. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For that by one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. When we ask for forgiveness of our sins and recognize Jesus as our only hope and our Lord, that does not need to be repeated. Nothing can take that away. Not what you did last week, not that mess that you found yourself in, not that even that thing that no one else knows about. Nothing can separate us from the love. What love? Nothing can separate us from the love of the Father. But there is something that needs to be cleaned, obviously. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't have part with me. It's our feet, it's our walk that needs to be cleaned. It's, uh, let me explain this to you. Jesus is speaking of two different types of cleansing here. He's speaking the first of our standing, our salvation, which cannot be taken away, which we cannot lose, which we've enjoyed singing about this morning. But Jesus said in verse 10, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet. They wouldn't have bathed when they had just walked into a building because they would have taken a bath that morning. The only thing that got dirty walking into the building was their feet. And so as they would walk into the building and the water pot is sitting there and someone would, would wash their feet, that's what would need to be washed off. Let me explain. Uh, let, me, let me let Arthur Pink explain it to you. Arthur Pink is one of the most influential evangelical authors of the 20th century, someone said. And this quote, I believe, is going to be on the screen. It's rather lengthy, but, but he does a perfect job explaining what is going on here. It says, he says, there's a partial cleansing which the believer still needs. A daily washing to counteract the defiling effects of this world. Our daily contact with the evil all around us causes the dust of defilement to settle upon us. Don't miss this. So that the mirror of our conscience is dimmed and the spiritual affections of our heart are dulled. Remember, sinning will keep you from praying. Praying will keep you from sinning. We need to come afresh into the presence of Christ in order to learn what things really are. Surrounding ourselves to his judgment in everything and submitting to his purging word. The cleansing of salvation doesn't need to be repeated, but we still battle sin every day. It's all around us. And as we go from place to place and go through our lives, go throughout our days, it affects us. And this gentleman says that we need to come afresh into the presence of Christ every day. Otherwise, the spiritual affections of our heart are dulled. This means that sin doesn't affect you like it used to. You've become desensitized. It doesn't bother you like it should. When was the last time you washed the residue of sin from your feet? When was the last time you went fresh into the presence of God and said, 
Search me and know me, God. If it's been a while, chances are the spiritual affections of your heart are dulled. The more time we spend in the dirt, the harder it is to wash off. You can relate to that, right? The more time you spend in the dirt, the the more difficult it is to get off. It's just like sin. The more you're in it, the more that you surround yourself with it, the more you put into your mind and in your heart, the harder it is to to get rid of those thoughts and to, to get out of those habits. We spent last month talking about being the light of the world. The more it stains, it leaves its mark, and the more our light is dimmed. If it weren't for the light coming in through the windows today, we could do an illustration and we could all do what we've probably done before, either when the power went out or when we were in the woods and, and you pull out that flashlight and the batteries are dull and you can't really see where you're, what you're doing. But then if you put new batteries in, how much brighter the light is. We're supposed to be a bright light in the world. And if we've got sin all over our lives and, and, and as Pink says, the dust of defilement is all over us. We've got stained by sin and it's not coming off as easy and and our light is dulled. We're not looking at all like those people we're supposed to look like. That says, by this they will know that you are my disciples by your love. So what does it look like? I mean, Jesus is not coming here physically to wash our feet. What's that look like? I kind of gave it away earlier. It looks like Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. It looks like going fresh into the presence of God and saying, God, reveal the sin in my life. Tell me what I need to stay away from. Show me where I need to be. Remove those influences from my life and forgive me where I've sinned, where I've fallen short. I want to be a bright light for you, Jesus. I don't want to be dimmed. I don't want to be marked by sin. Verse 12, as we get ready to finish up this passage. Jesus then kind of commentates himself here and explains himself. He says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. He was telling them about his authority and saying how much he had humbled himself right there. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Jesus is saying to them, this is not just to clean your feet. You guys stink, but that's not why I did that. He, he, he's not saying, he's saying, I, I didn't want to just clean your feet. This is so much bigger. I wasn't just ending your argument over who was greater. This is so much more important. You guys are to share this message with the world because Jesus knew that soon he would be gone and Christianity would be spread by love, by humility, by carrying out this new commandment of love. And Jesus gives us an example to follow to the very end. He doesn't just tell it, he shows it. He proves it. An example of humility, an example of service, an example of love. Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself in obedience to the cross and died a criminal's death on a cross. He humbled himself. He showed them the full extent of his love to the very end. What love. Do we look around like the disciples and think that I'm too important for that? No, 
God wants me for something so much bigger. No, I, I couldn't stoop down to do that. I, 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 no, they, somebody else can help them. Or do we look for opportunities to love to the fullest extent? There's one more verse, and it's the verse where it says that we'll be blessed. So you don't want to miss that verse. Verse 17 says, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Joy is always tied to our obedience of God's word. Joy is tied to obedience of God's word. He says if you know these things, God's going to bless you for doing them. These things. What are these things? What has he taught them? He's taught them to allow Jesus to wash the sin out of our lives, to stay sharp, to stay bright. He's taught them to follow his example to serve one another, to humble themselves. In the greatest possible demonstration, one who was, had all authority, knew all the flaws, knew all the reasons why he shouldn't wash their feet, and yet he humbled himself. That's these things. So what do we do with that, what we know? What do we do with what we've read and what we've seen and what we know? Hopefully, follow that example. It sounds like a pretty good way to start 2021 to me. Receive a blessing. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I don't know about you, but I could certainly improve in this area. I, I, I don't serve nearly enough. I have a tendency to... To have a little pride. I, I, don't, I don't humble myself like I should. And if the Lord of all creation, the King of kings and Lord of lords, got down on his knees, took off his robe, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, the disciples that have the same tendencies that I do to deny, to ignore, to desert, and yet Jesus humbled himself and washed their feet. Let's be a church that serves. Let's be a church that loves. How could you not after reading about that love? What love? Let's pray and then I'll talk about some ways we can respond today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the example that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for not seeing the finish line and taking a detour for not seeing the finish line and finishing early stopping early, quitting early but Lord you showed your love to the very end and it means salvation for me and it means salvation for all who will place their faith and trust in you Lord I pray if there's one here today that maybe just needs to start this year off with a new fresh desire to have you lead their lives. Lord, I pray that they would make that commitment today, that they would give you their full attention. Lord, and let them see how you want to work in their lives and how you want to use them. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you as their Savior, and there's no greater way to start this year off than to place their trust in you. I pray, Lord, however you want to use your word this morning, that you would use it to move people closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
This morning, as usual, there's three ways to respond. If you're in the room today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today could be the best day of your life. David and Kathy are back in the corner. They would love to talk with you. Maybe if it's not a, maybe it's not a salvation question. Maybe you just need to know, hey, I'm going to start this year off on the right foot. I want to jump all in. I want to serve. Whatever it is, you can respond in person this morning. Listen, Judas was right there. He was right there. He saw it. He heard it. He witnessed it. And he walked away. Don't be that close and walk away. Respond in person today. You can also respond online with a Connect card. Text Connect HC to 94000, and you can be directed to our online Connect card. You can also drop in those Connect cards into the offering boxes as you leave today. We would love to connect with you. And if you're a first-time guest, you'll get a special gift in, gift in the mail. But we'd love to connect with you and your family. If there's ways we can pray for you, ways we can minister to you and your family, just write that in the comments there. We would love to connect with you. And then thirdly, I want to challenge you guys to take action. We've got some little things. It's not much to give you, but uh, on the tables in the back and on the sides here, we've got a little piece of cloth, and here's what this is. This is something for you. You can, you can trim it up. You can write a passage, a verse from the passage this morning. Uh, you can carry it around in your pocket. You can put it on your dashboard. You can put it on your fridge. You can do whatever you want to with it, but when you're tempted to think about your dignity, when you're tempted to think about your pride, your prestige, all the reasons why you shouldn't serve, pull this out. Look at it. Remember what Jesus did and the example that he set. Let it remind you to pray Psalm 139. When you see it, let it just be a reminder to you to, to pray to the Lord, to go fresh to the Lord in the morning so that he can help you from getting stained by sin, help you from getting dulled and dimmed, and help keep you shining bright for Jesus.